0: Thanks for tuning into the Lean 911 podcast where you'll have a voice directly from the Gemba. I will rely on my three decades of lean successes as well as my failures to answer your most challenging questions regarding your lean transformation. I'm your host, Mark Deluzio, President and CEO of Lean Horizons Consulting and the Principal Architect of the Danaher Business System. Looking forward to your questions now. Let's go to the Gemba. Hi, welcome to the Lean 911 podcast. Uh, Mark Deluzio here. And we're going to continue our series on problem solving. This is the second of five uh, problem solving uh, episodes that we're going to be doing. There'll probably be more after this five, but right now we have five lined up. Uh, The first one we did already was problem fixing versus problem problem solving. This one's going to be about solving problems at the lowest possible level in the organization. And the others to follow, how to define a problem, uh, leading versus lagging indicators, And challenging the status quo, which really is a big deal when it comes to problem solving. So those are the future ones that we're going to be doing. But today we're going to talk about solving problems at the lowest possible level in the organization. Now, again, I want to go back and and say that the more I've done Lean uh, over the last three plus decades, the more I found out it's really more about problem solving with all the various tools and things that we have at our disposal Uh, solving problems is the essence of Kaizen and continuing to move the ball forward as we uh, get better and better as an organization and solving problems, quite frankly, on a priority basis, we can't solve every single thing that happens all the time, but we have to pick and choose what's strategic, what's priority. And in the context, quite frankly, of safety, quality, delivery, and cost that hierarchy in that particular order. So with that being said, Let's talk about problem solving at the lowest possible level in the organization. First question is, who are your best consultants? Is it Lean Horizons Consulting? or Is it McKinsey? Is it, uh, you know, whoever else you want to put out there? Or is it the people that work for you, that are closest to the action, that do the work on a daily basis that know all the ins and outs of what really is going on. And then you have to ask yourself the question, those people that are closest to the problem, how often do we engage them in solving our problems? Okay. So this is something that I've seen a lot of fanfare about. I've seen posters on the wall. Our people are our most valued asset. You know, the old notion that uh, people appreciate and machines depreciate. But when you really look at the actions that we take as organizations many, many times, that's all, quite frankly, um, uh, nice nice press, but not really representing reality. So you want to get to the point where the closest to the problem are the people that are going to be best apt. To solve the problem. So let's take a look at this. <clears throat> My friend John Shook, uh, who worked very heavily with Toyota, told me one time that Toyota had a policy. I don't know if they still do that if you have not observed a problem directly, you were not even allowed to opine on the problem. Now, think about that. How many meetings would you not have to go to if? if everybody who sits there around a conference table, sometimes thousands of miles away from the problem are trying to address and solve a problem. See, I think leaders for the most part have gotten to a point where they got to their position by giving the right answers. But if you really want to transform with lean, you have to learn how to ask the right questions of the people that are doing the work, And assuring that a process is in place, in this case, to solve problems, and you're building that problem-solving culture within the organization. If you're the guy that always has to, you know, give the answer, you're not developing your people. And quite frankly, it gets to be a very boring place to work. And you better be right, by the way. And I will tell you this, the further you are away from the problem, the less likely your solution is the optimal one or even the right one. So what I would tell executives, we don't want any conference room Kaizen, where we're sitting in a conference room, opining as to what we think the solution should be to whatever defined problem there is. And many times it's ill-defined as to what the problem really is. And we're going to get into problem definition statements on another episode, because that's a whole can of worms in and of itself that uh, needs to be addressed. So no Conference room Kaizen, right? We gotta get down to the root cause and to where the closest where we can we can uh, observe the problem and understand what's going on. So using problems uh, at the lowest level, solving problems, the question you have to ask yourself is this if that's what you want, are you set up to win? Are you really set up to win? For example, first of all, do you have a problem-solving process that you use in your company? Do you have training? Do you train people as to how to solve problems in a real-life environment? So all of that infrastructure needs to be established. You need to have a coach that can teach people the ins and outs of problem-solving. Then you have to do it in a real-life problem. So do you have that? That's the first question. Second question do you allow people time to solve problems? If you're, you know, working you know, 60 hours and 20 hours of overtime and people are just, you know, trying to get product out, trying to get whatever they are designed to do, but you don't give them the time to solve problems, how the heck are you going to solve problems at the lowest possible level? You know, this is not rocket science, but I see this all the time. Hey, we're not solving problems at the lowest level. Or did you give them the time? Well, you know, and do you have problem solving training and a process and a methodology? Well, yeah, we kind of do. You know, our engineers are pretty smart. They know how to solve problems. They're they're engineers after all, right? And if you did those first two things, do you give them the resources to solve problems? I'm going to talk about this in a minute with the work I've done with Hino Motors in Japan. Okay. Do you give them the resources? For example, do they have the engineering resources, tool room, maintenance, administratively, do they have an IT support that can help them? Because a lot of administrative uh, Kaizans have to do with, you know, IT systems. And many times IT systems make us do things that you might consider to be on lean. Okay. So are we giving them the resources? And probably most importantly, do we have the psychological safety in place where people feel free to solve problems or are they fearing for their jobs? How many times have you heard, we're doing lean to reduce our headcount? Well, sign me up for that program. I'm going to tell you how I know to, how to make my job more efficient and and go from 12 people down to six in my department. Yeah, sign me up for that program. Well, guess what? That's not going to work. And I just can't understand how companies can actually have tied layoffs to their lean initiatives and have the nerve to call it lean to the tunes of tens of thousands of people being let go. All right. Maybe it's the leadership that should be let go, but I just can't understand how you can actually expect people to openly give their input, knowing that if they become redundant, they're going to be marched out the door. Again, this isn't rocket science, right? Come on. So if there's no psychological safety involved and trust involved in change, in problem solving, well, good luck with that, because what's going to happen is people are going to look the other way when they see a problem. Let's take a machine operator. They're with that machine every single day, and they know what it sounds like when it runs well. They also know what it sounds like when it doesn't take your car when you're driving your car and it's not riding, right? It's not driving, right? It's not sounding right. You know, darn well, something's wrong with your car because you're so intimate with it. Well, if I was that machine operator, I might just look the other way, let the machine fail. And guess what? I've got overtime. I just built in my overtime and in a sense, my job security or Better yet, and this does happen, hopefully not often, they sabotage something to create overtime. All of a sudden, that that machine jammed. And geez, it it jammed the fixture and the column broke and the machine's down for two days. And, you know, things like this do happen. And you've got to have the trust and psychological safety and reward people, not for really fixing problems. We talked about fixing problems last time. In the last episode, but we want to reward people for preventing fires, not putting out fires, right? So, creating that culture and that trust, trustful environment, is paramount to having a good problem-solving culture, right? So, so uh, people will look the other ways, other ways, if they don't trust you. Now, I'm going to give you two case studies, and these are ones that I was personally involved with, all right? The first one, I want to go back to Jake Brake when I was running their Asian business. I was general manager of their Asian business, and I went to Hino Motors, which is part of Toyota. Now, at Jake Brake, when we first started Lean in 1987 with, uh, you know, George Konasaker and Art Byrne, and, and you know, that's when I started as a financial guy at, uh, at Jake Brake, became their CFO, then went into transition to operations and ran Hino and the Asian business. Well, we had what we call the Jacobs Improvement Jacobs Improvement S. Yes. It was our suggestion system. And we were pretty proud that we were tracking two suggestions per month per associate, okay, per hourly associate. And we were a UAW union workshop. So, you know, getting that kind of participation was kind of, you know, we patted ourselves on the back. We thought it was pretty good. I go to Hino. And as I'm walking around their factory, I happened to notice a chart on the wall and I asked what it was. They were tracking nine suggestions per month per associate. But the difference was this. Not only was it different by seven, <laughs> the difference was they were implemented suggestions. Ours were just suggestions. So somebody wrote a, a suggestion slip that said, hey, paint the building pink. We count it as a suggestion. Hey, we got employee involvement. We got engagement, you know? And we pat ourselves on the back and we'd be successful, as at least we thought. They had nine implemented suggestions per month. And I forget what number was that was, imp- that was suggested. was much higher than that. Nine implemented. So I asked them how they did that. And they did exactly what I just talked about earlier. On Friday afternoon, they give their employees the time to solve problems. So Friday afternoon, at noon, they have the whole afternoon. They take that time out out of their calculated tack time. So, you know, they hit their production schedule during the week. And they give them the time, the training, and the support as far as engineering, tool room, uh, you know, whatever it may be, maintenance, to help them with their projects. And some of these projects are very little projects. Hey, I sometimes have problems with that fixture and i can't always orient the part right and it takes another 5 seconds and 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 they're working on things like that right so so it's a big deal when you take all these small little improvements and add them all up over the cor- course of time the impact is 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 phenomenal but they actually supported and walked the talk with solving problems at the lowest possible level all right now one other story I'd like to tell you is uh, we had a company over in the UK when I was with Danaher. It was a new acquisition. It was called West Instruments. And West Instruments made temperature controllers. And by the way, this 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 uh, company was an unbelievable success for us. But I'll maybe talk about that in another podcast. But But I want to talk about this particular issue. <clears throat> the temperature controller went through testing at the end of the line. So we assembled the PC boards and surface mount and assembled the, the component itself, snapped it all together, you know, and then we tested it at the end of the line. Well, their biggest defect was what was called no fault found, which means that they would test the product, it would fail. They tested it again, and it would pass. And then they would look at these products a lot more closely and find, you know, they're all good. They didn't fail. And it was a big deal for them. It was a big disruptor. They didn't know what to do about it. So at the time that that business was run by a group executive, a guy named Jack Watson, God rest Jack's soul. He was a great guy. And Jack called me up and says, Mark, I want you personally to go to to Brighton, England to uh, to help with this problem because they can't seem to get around it. Now, I'm not an engineer, right? But you don't have to be. So I got on a plane. I went over to Brighton, England. I first met with all the leadership there and all the engineers. And I said, okay, guys, so tell me what you did so far. And they kind of described all the things I went through. I said, I asked one one question. I said, did you involve the operators in this uh, in this problem-solving endeavor? And they said, well, well no, no. Uh, Why would we do that? All they do is put the product together. Oh, really? Hmm. Okay. Interesting. You didn't talk to them at all? No. You didn't bring them in and involve them at all? No. Okay. So I initiated a Kaizen called CDAC, Cause and Effect Diagram with the Addition of Cards. It's a problem-solving process. And in this, you're allowed with what's called the yellow fact cards, all post-it notes, to put anything you want on a fact card that you know about the problem. It didn't matter if it was your opinion, it didn't matter if it was fact-based at this point in time, but anything you wanted to put down, you could write one idea per card. So every so I involved about there were about fifteen people. I would say maybe five or six of them were operators, and I had engineers, a couple of vice presidents. Anyway, so we're going through this CDAC process, and I'm going through and reading off all the cards that were submitted. And I get this one card, and it says, "This problem never happens on the weekend." I looked at it, and that really struck me when I saw that, I said, "Wow, something's going on here. what's that's an odd one, right who 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 was this? It was an operator that put that down. Can you tell me more about this? Well, yeah, you know we work on the weekends, uh, but but it never happens on the weekends. For us for some reason but during the week it happens all the time really okay so i took a a a whiteboard a, a, a flip chart tell me everything that's different from monday through friday versus saturday and or sunday let's write it all down so we wrote it all down and one of the operators said the factory next door doesn't work on the weekends they never have they never did really that's interesting So our factory was uh, adjoined adjoined by in the same building with another factory, which was not not a Dan and her company. So what's up with that? Well, what do they do over there? And I, geez, you know, I, I can't remember exactly what it was, but long story short, we went over and met the vice president of operations, had him give us a tour, saw what he did, and he had a process that was causing what we call EMI or electronic magnetic interference and it was an intermittent process he didn't run it all the time he just ran it you know occasionally here and there so we set up an experiment we were on the phone and we were saying okay he's running the process now test the product okay it failed okay now he's not running the process test the same product it passed we we did many iterations of this And found out that the EMI from that process at the adjoining, you know, company was causing our interference with our test equipment. And by the way, we did test the product to make sure it was good product in terms of looking at it and running it and all that stuff. Anyway, so the solution on this was, and again, an operator suggested this, but we put some sense, I think it was a copper shield over the equipment of the testing equipment so that the EMI would never interfere regardless of when, you know, they ran that process. Now, all these high-powered engineers and vice presidents and middle management couldn't figure this out because they did not talk to the operator, okay? So I've got many more stories like this, but I'll just leave you with that one because this no-fault-found problem uh, could have been solved would have saved me an airplane flight to England. Although Brighton is very nice, by the way, it's a resort area. Although that night that I got in, that night was uh, delayed by about three or four hours because there was a pipe bomb on the the pier at in Brighton, left there by the IRA. IRA. It was a bicycle bomb. They loaded a bicycle with uh, the tubes in the bicycle with explosives, so I couldn't get near my hotel, which was like right on the water. Anyway. Just a little side note, (laughs) Uh, but talk to your operators. Set up the environment to win. Training, make sure you have problem-solving training. Make sure you have time to solve problems. Make sure you train people in real-life situations, not just classroom. Don't do lean by PowerPoint. And create that environmental, psychological safety for them to feel free and safe to be able to give their opinions and solve problems. Otherwise, it's like you'll know you beat your head against the wall and it won't work, okay? Uh, By the way, you want to increase engagement and employee satisfaction and all that. Get them involved in Kaizans. Create that psychological safety zone and get involved with Kaizans. And you will not believe how the attitudes towards everything will get better the more you ask people to contribute okay bottom line is if you have a policy that says hey let's solve problems at the lowest possible level in the company but you don't provide any of this support that i just described then all that is is a slogan and i would just say take your posters down pull up your yellow tape and stop and get rid of your gemba boards (laughs) and and, and go back to traditional manufacturing because all you're doing is beating your head against the wall and quite frankly, you're disrespecting your people and you're wasting a lot of time, okay? So the question you have to ask yourself, are you set up to win in developing your problem-solving culture? It'd be interesting to hear from you. So uh, mark at lean911.com is my email, M-A-R-K, mark at lean911.com. I would love to hear from you and I would love to answer any of your questions, and we'll get those questions answered on uh, subsequent uh, podcasts. So this is uh, the second series of a five-part series right now with problem solving, and I thank you for listening. Look forward to hearing from you, and we will see you next time. God bless. Thanks for listening to the Lean 911 podcast. I'll be happy to address your questions or feedback on future episodes. Email me at mark at lean911.com. You can check out our other episodes by visiting our website at lean911.com, our YouTube channel, wherever you listen to podcasts. This is your host, Mark DeLuzio. Thanks for listening.